Heavenly Father, we are um, privileged uh, to know you. Thank you that you have revealed yourself uh, so wonderfully uh, through your word. We pray that uh, you would speak to us through it um, now today. Change us by it. Change us by your grace and love um, that you've demonstrated so uh, fully and wonderfully in Jesus. Uh, So we um, uh, pray for your spirit to apply your truths deep and change us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Isaiah 52, starting at verse 13. See, my servants will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being, and his form marred beyond human likeness. So he will sprinkle many nations, and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told they will see, and what they have not heard they will understand. Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of dry ground, He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him not in low esteem. Surely he took, us, took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed." We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, as a sheep before its shearers is silent. So he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, My righteous servant will justify many, 
and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sins of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Um, Friends, we uh, are looking this morning at a passage of the Bible that is really, it really is at the heart of everything. Uh, It's one of the high points of the whole Bible's story and we do need God's help. Um, So I'm going to pray again. We've already prayed, but I'm going to pray again. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for this word that was written hundreds of years before Jesus that speaks so um, powerfully, that speaks so convictingly, not only about who we are, sheep who have gone astray, worthy of your judgment and condemnation, but more wonderfully than that, that speaks so beautifully about Jesus and all that you have done for us in him. Lord, open our hearts this morning. For those of us who've heard this before, you know, keep, us from, keep us from hearing it with um, uh, uh, kind of cold hearts. Lord, fire our own hearts for what you've done for us. For those of us for whom these things might be new, Lord, please, by your spirit, Uh, Open these realities to us in a new and fresh way that might transform our lives for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, friends, as uh, Steve mentioned, we have been looking through these servant songs in the book of Isaiah. Um, uh, As we've looked over the last few weeks, we've seen how Isaiah as a whole moves from, has this movement from, uh, going from the fallen creation the fallen people of God, Israel, to this incredible vision that Isaiah has of a whole new creation, a new Israel, uh, a new creation that is free from all that is evil, uh, that is renewed in life and peace. And key to this whole thing is this figure of the servant that crops up in the second half of Isaiah. If you've been with us, that'll be familiar to you. Uh, And as we head into Easter, particularly, as we've been talking about over the last few weeks, these Servant songs, uh, they paint the most clearest and compelling picture of Jesus for us in the Old Testament. They're very precious to us, and this one most of all. Uh, We are going to have another week next week where we're looking at chapter 55, and um, chapter 55 isn't technically a servant song. Uh, It kind of, what we're going to do next week is look at the great implications of all of this for us which come out so richly in chapter 55. But hold that up till next week. Here we have this servant song. Uh, We've seen a few weeks ago, we looked at chapter 42, if you remember, this great image of the servant as God's anointed king who would bring justice to the nations. Uh, A couple of weeks ago, we looked at chapter 49, the next song. Not only is this servant God's king, but he is also God's prophet, the one who hears the word of God, and brings it powerfully to the people. And key to his message was going to be that God's salvation would spread to the whole earth through this servant. Last week, in chapter 50, we looked at how this servant 
uh, he's not only the, the king, not only the prophet, he's the perfect disciple of the Lord, uh, the one who hears and obeys and trusts his God, even though it means his suffering. But friends, this, this passage we're looking at today, uh, it really brings together all of those things and it's kind of the high points of Isaiah's vision of this servant, of this mysterious figure that Isaiah foretold would come, who would be the key to God transforming his world, uh, who would be the key to God bringing about renewal and restoration in the face of sin and death and pain. Ties together the whole thing. One author writes about this song. Uh, he, he notes that almost every verse in chapter 53 is either quoted or alluded to in the New Testament. And he writes that this, this passage sounds as if it had been written under the very cross of Golgotha. It sounds as if it had been written under the very cross. That's how incredibly sort of accurate it is about Jesus about Easter, why it's so important that we look at it. Okay, friends, um, it starts, if you've got your hand out there, you'll see a bit of an outline which might help you to know where we're up to. Um, it's, it starts with this, this last song, it starts with this unbelievable message, right? It starts with an unbelievable message. This is something totally unexpected about this servant. Uh, and we've seen glimpses of this, but it's at its highest point here. In 53 verse 1, he writes... Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? This is kind of meant to be, uh, you know, he's, he's kind of saying, who, who could believe this, this message about the arm of the Lord being revealed? <clears throat> uh, maybe you have the same experience, I don't know, depending on kind of what your influences were as a child. When I was growing up, I really loved, uh, I, I kind of was in awe of the cartoon character Popeye. You know Popeye? Um, and here's this ridiculous, uh, like, you know, relatively uh, normal-looking man with these unbelievably massive arms that stuck out here with, you know, the tattoo, the, um, and all of that sort of stuff. Uh, you remember him? The rough and ready sailor, powered by spinach. Uh, a good way to teach kid to, kids to eat their greens. I think that was probably behind it. With these ridiculously sized arms, right? When Popeye bared his arms, it was all about... Well, you knew who was boss, right? It was all about his power, his strength over his enemies uh, after he'd eaten a can of spinach. Well, <laughs> uh, this servant of the Lord that Isaiah looks forward to, Isaiah says, he is God with his sleeves rolled up. He is the arm of the Lord, the power of God to win his victory. And that's what you get if you kind of flick your eyes um, up uh, at the start of um, chapter 52. That's what you see there in verse 15. Uh, sorry, not the start of 52, the start of the song. 52 verse 13. My servant will act wisely. And uh, you can't... Uh, um, God, who is speaking here, seems to go over, and over the top in saying how high this servant's going to be. Three times. Do you see that? He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. He's going over the top to say this. And this servant has universal significance. Did you notice that as well? He will sprinkle many nations. He will sprinkle many nations. We've seen as we've read through the servant songs, this servant is 
God's king. Um, he is God's prophet. He is the, the perfect disciple of the Lord. But here there's this new image on view for this incredible servant, this incredible one, this new image. The image is, is that of a priest. A priest in the Old Testament, uh, he'd perform animal sacrifices and with, he'd sprinkle the blood of the animal to symbolise God's cleansing for sin. Uh, except here, do you notice this servant, this incredible priest, wasn't just going to sprinkle the blood in the temple of Israel. He would sprinkle it everywhere. He would be worldwide. Uh, he would be so significant uh, that kings will shut their mouths because of him. That's something that Isaiah has already talked about, kings bowing down for, before him. Uh, they will shut their mouths because of him. And that's something unheard of. Someone who could you know, um, make a politician stop talking. But here it is, <laughs> the servant. Okay, the servant, the servant of the Lord. Uh, kings will shut their mouths because of him. What they were not told, they will see, and what they've not heard, they will understand. This is something incredible and new. Something they could never think of themselves. Something we're told, they, they were not told about, that here it is, suddenly. But here's the catch, friends. Here's the catch. This servant, right? God with his arms, with his sleeves rolled up, God with his arm bared, the power of God looks like this. Back up in verse 14. What does he look like? People are appalled at him. His appearance is so disfigured beyond that of any human being and his form marred beyond human likeness. Do you see what's going on there? It's, it is a, it's actually a grotesque image. You know, it's, it's an image of someone who, they're not asking what sort of a person he is, they're asking, is he even a person? <laughs> he is so disfigured, he's so marred. Down in verse 2 of chapter 53, we'll flick down there. Uh, he is fragile, he's like a tender root, a shoot, a root out of dry ground. Uh, if you keep reading, he'll be unimpressive. He has no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Verse 3, in fact, he'd be someone, uh, he'd be someone not only who you wouldn't notice, but if you did notice him, you'd cross the street to avoid him. See that in verse 3? He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. He is the man of suffering or you might know the other version, the man of sorrows. Uh, this isn't a personality type. right? Um, the last church I used to work with up at Trinity Hills in the office that we had, um, there were a series of mugs, okay, and each of the mugs had a picture of someone from the Winnie the Pooh series on it. So you had uh, Tigger and Pooh and uh, Eeyore and um, uh, Piglet, and depending on the mood you were in, that was kind of the um, mug that you'd choose for that day. So everyone sort of rushed on a Monday morning for the Eeyore mug, because, you know, everyone's, no, no, but... Uh, <laughs> uh, it's a man of sorrows, when you hear the, the phrase man of sorrows... I mean, is that what's going on here? He's just... No, he, he's, not a, he's not a personality type like Eeyore. 
Uh, it is a description of his life, a fact of his life. His life was characterised by sorrow and grief. It is shocking, isn't it? This first part of this song, the mighty arm of the Lord, this one who will be high, 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 lifted up over everyone, who would be the most unattractive outcast, so disfigured that you can't even tell he's human, there would be nothing attractive about him. Well, friends, if you've been with us all the time we've been looking at the songs, none of this will be new to you necessarily. Um, there's been hints of this all along the way. This servant would suffer incredibly. Um, but here is what it com- where it comes to its sort of most pointed description for us, and it's what comes next. It's what comes next that makes this song so incredibly precious. Why did this one have to suffer like this? Why did he have to suffer like this? It is an unbelievable message and it has an incredible reason. An incredible reason. Uh, We've already seen, as we've mentioned, this servant is God's king, right? Um, uh, Right at the start we saw he would be God's king who'd bring justice to the nations. He'd bring justice to the nations. He would set everything right. And then the next one we read, we also read that he would bring salvation to the nations, to the, to the ends of the earth. But this points to the great, the great problem in Isaiah, friends. The great problem in Isaiah is this. Is, all has to do with this. How can God's justice and his salvation possibly come together? How can his justice, how can this world be fixed up from all its trouble and wickedness without wiping out the people who bring that trouble and wickedness? How can a people who have rejected God come into his presence? Um, Right at the start of Isaiah, the the book, if uh, you're familiar with it, there's this incredible chapter, uh, chapter 6, if you're taking notes, Um, Isaiah has this terrifying vision of God. He sees God uh, in the temple, high high and exalted. He's surrounded by angels praising him. And he sees this incredible vision. And what does he do? This one who um, had the most incredible... um, the the most incredible kind of, you know, you think he wrote Isaiah... (laughs) Incredible man, well, he, when, he's, when he's confronted with God, he cries out, Woe to me, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Isaiah saw clearly the awesome greatness of God. And in that kind of the white-hot light that shone on his own soul, faced with the majesty of God, all of his own junk and filth was exposed. The vision of God's holiness shone a light into his own soul and all he could do out was cry, was, all he could do was to cry out, woe to me, I am ruined. That is the only right response of any honest 
person who encounters the true and living God. But in that vision in chapter 6, there's a taste of Isaiah's big vision. This vision from fallen, rebellious creation to new creation, restored to relationship with God. Back in chapter 6, Isaiah's terror is overcome. It's overcome. It's not overcome by Isaiah realising suddenly he's not that bad after all. Uh, It's not overcome by his own goodness. It's not by a little bit of positive psychology. It is overcome, this terror at uh, his unworthiness before the holy God, it is overcome by that same holy God who saw his uncleanness and loved him still who forgave him and cleansed him. This is the great theme of Isaiah. Once the sinfulness of humanity is exposed by the blinding light of God's glory, God's holiness, how can we possibly have any relationship with him that doesn't leave us wiped out, that doesn't leave us brought under his just judgment, that doesn't leave us, like Isaiah realised, a ruined person? The answer is... The great message of Isaiah, which is the great message of the the Bible, which is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The message of the arm of the Lord, revealed not in wiping out sinful people, but revealed in the suffering servant. Salvation from the holy judgment of God has to come from God himself. And friends, that's where we get this next section of this incredible, wonderful vision. Having seen this amazing message of the servant who was high and lifted up, but also despised and rejected, Isaiah turns to the reason for that, for that incredible, bizarre um, reality. The reason is, verse 4, Surely he took up our pain, and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Isaiah goes on, verse 7, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked. With the rich and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence. Nor was any deceit in his mouth. Friends, do you remember at the start we looked at this new image of the servant. Not only the... God's king, not only God's prophet and perfect disciple, but this incredible priest, the one who would offer um, 
uh, who would sprinkle the cleansing blood of the sacrifice across the whole world. Uh, well, friends, animal sacrifice in the Old Testament was this powerful symbol of God's, uh, of both God's justice and His mercy. This this tension that we're dealing with: How can God bring justice and salvation? Animal sacrifice in the Old Testament: This this innocent animal was a substitute, dying symbolically in the place of God's people, to as uh, to pay for their sin to. Uh, the sin of God's people was so serious that it meant death. And the sacrifices were a continual reminder of that. Uh, the priests would wash away the uncleanness of sin by sprinkling the blood. And the blood was it kind of symbolically and literally actually represented life. Uh, so the sprinkling of the blood was a symbol of how God, cleansing, uh, God was cleansing this evil that brought death. Well, friends, okay, that's what's going on with this sprinkling, this sacrifice, this priest. But here is another new incredible thing. He is not only, this servant is not only the priest who will stand between God and his people. uh, He's not only the priest who would perform the sacrifice and sprinkle the blood. He himself is the sacrifice. He is the priest and the lamb. The blood he would sprinkle to bring God's forgiveness and cleansing was his own. The servant's blood pays the debt of sin and brings cleansing. A new life and peace with God, not in a temporary way like the old sacrifices, but in this new, complete, once and for all, transforming way. The unbelievable message had an incredible reason uh, that he was pierced for our transgressions, The servant would give his own life in the place of God's rebellious people so that the death and judgment that they rightly deserved would fall on him, would be placed on him. But if you, uh, as we read on the rest of the psalm, we'll know that that's not the end. That's not the end. There is this incredible message, this bizarre message really, of this um, exalted and despised servant. We've seen the reason for it. pierced for the transgressions of his people, but there is a wonderful, wonderful outcome to it all. And that's what we read as we read on. Uh, From verse 10. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. This wonderful outcome that Isaiah speaks of for this servant, that he will see the light of life. Not only that, but do you notice what it says there um, uh, in verse 11? He will see 
the light of life and be satisfied. In some incredible, wonderful way, the horrific story of the start of chapter 53, the horrific story, the brutal story, would have an incredible and wonderful and fairy tale like good ending. Maybe you've had this experience. I um, broke my wrist a number of years ago playing rugby and I had to have it put right in plaster. And this is just a very simple example of something that's going on here. Um, when I was, uh, it was a particular kind of bone which meant I needed to put my hand in a particular position for it to set right, if you know what I mean. Um, and I remember getting my hand in that position was really agonising, actually. It was really painful. I didn't want to do it. It was so painful and agonising. Uh, but what I did do was I trusted the physio who was looking after me. <laughs> okay? I trusted that when he said, you need to do this, even though it's really painful, I trusted uh, what he said. And I, you know, I went through that pain and it's sort of come out to a relatively good uh, outcome. But I mean, you know, that's a, a really trivial example. You might know others uh, of where people need to actually go through incredible pain to um, get healed for something because they trust the person looking after them. It's a little bit like that, except... Uh, cosmically so much more here with this servant. Uh, because it was God's will, did you notice that? Were you shocked at that at the start there? It was the Lord's will to crush him. Uh, because it was God's will, because this is the wonderful, perfect disciple of the Lord that we looked at last week, who trusts himself to his God, who is wakened morning by morning like a father wakes his son, because he knew his God and he trusted him and he knew this was God's will for him, part of his plan, that was what gave this servant, that's what gave him, that's what helped him on, that was the reason he could go on. He trusted that God was working through this and as I saw that after this servant had suffered, he would see the light of life and be satisfied there's something so wonderful is going on here that even death was not going to be the end of him. He would enter into death, take its full force upon himself, feel it in every way, and he wouldn't be crushed by it. He would shatter it. Death wouldn't extinguish him. He would extinguish it. Uh, and verse 12 finishes in this way. Um, if you look at verse 12 there, uh, finishes the song with this incredible image of a warrior returning with his spoil uh, that he shares out. This servant that has come uh, through the suffering and pain that God has willed for him, yet trusting that God would bring him to a good end. Uh, God says, therefore, I will give him a portion among the great. He will divide the spoils with the strong because he poured out his life unto death. He was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. This servant's weakness has now become his strength. His defeat has turned incredibly into his victory. He was despised and rejected, but he will be, and here in verse 12 is, the returning conqueror. 
So here's a wonderful outcome. The servant has this satisfaction, this light of life. Uh, and then at the end, oh, in verse 11, just before this, uh, then in verse 11, sorry, we'll just uh, we'll go back to that. Verse 11, by his knowledge, did you notice that? By this servant's knowledge, he will justify many. Um, it's a little bit hard to know what's going on here. The best way to, I think, read it is by the knowledge, by knowing this servant, the knowledge about this servant. Um, it's not just academic knowledge that's on view here. It's a personal, intimate knowledge through knowing this servant, having a relationship with him, uh, receiving his sacrifice on their behalf. It's through that that many people were made justif- were justified, made righteous, made right in the fullest sense, given forgiveness for their sin and a whole new life based on their right relationship with God. Okay, it's incredible, isn't it, this passage? Uh, and if you think about it, right, it's written... 700 years before Jesus. And that in itself is just mind-blowing, right? Hundreds of years before Jesus, and it speaks so precisely and accurately, exactly about what happened to Jesus. Completely fulfilled in him. Friends, I want to finish up this morning, uh, I guess just by acknowledging that all of us in the room today come at this passage from different perspectives and different histories, backgrounds, Uh, Some of us come having heard this many times before. Some of us come perhaps having heard it for the first time. Uh, Some of us come knowing this servant, others not knowing this servant in this personal way. Uh, Friends, wherever we're at though, I think there are three things that come out of this passage that ought to hit home for all of us, uh, wherever we're at. Perhaps you're not a Christian, or maybe you're not sure what it means. Uh, Maybe you've uh, identified as a Christian for a while, but you realise that maybe that's not true. Perhaps you're just trying to check it out. Uh, These three things lie at the heart of what it means to be a Christian. At the heart of what it means to be a Christian. Maybe you've been a Christian for a while, though, and if that's you, is there not, do you not feel this constant danger of thinking that we can move on from the gospel to other things, Um, move on from the simple message of Jesus dying in our place to more impressive things. Our friends, we never move on from the gospel. Growing and maturing as a Christian is precisely going deeper and deeper into this story of God's saving love. Three things... Uh, that are at the heart of the Christian message and three things that are at the heart of this passage. The first of those is the most confronting for us. Personally, it's the most confronting for us in our culture. Uh, It's probably, uh, there are lots of friction points between biblical Christianity and our culture at the moment. Um, I suspect that all of them at the end of the day sort of relate to this in some way. Um, The first thing that is at the heart of the Christian message is the proclamation, the message of guilt. Of guilt. Isaiah 53 proclaims with such force the reality that each of us is under a verdict of guilt that ought to crush us. We have each turned to our own way. 
Each of us have that inbuilt bias away from God and towards ourselves. And if we saw that rightly, we would cry out like Isaiah, Woe to me, I am ruined. So friends, um, maybe for you or for friends that you know, Jesus is an interesting teacher Uh, Maybe he's someone who could improve your life by adding on a few uh, principles for living your life well. But if that's all Jesus is, then that is a Jesus of our imagination, not the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. Isaiah leaves us with no wriggle room here. The problem in us goes much deeper than anything that could be fixed by good advice. Anything that could be fixed by trying harder. I'm afraid to face that, and maybe you are too. I mean, it's really the mercy of God that in my sort of blindness and ignorance, I can't see all my sin all at once. Um, That would be a crushing weight, wouldn't it? Isaiah 53 is brutally insistent. There is no room for it to move. For anyone, there is no escape from this. This first reality of the heart of the gospel, the proclamation that all people have like sheep gone astray and turned to our own way. And that's not just a cute image of sheep. It is actually something that leads us under the terrible uh, wrath and anger and judgment of God. But God, friends, knows what we need, does he not? Unless we get a glimpse of our own wickedness, we will never see the beauty of the gospel. Can you see that? Uh, We will never see the beauty of the gospel because the heart of the gospel is not news about how we can live better. The heart of the gospel begins with our inability, our wickedness, but our guilt. But friends, it never stays there. It begins there, but it never stays there. Because right at the centre of all of this, what ought to crush me, Jesus has taken on himself and let crush him. What ought to crush you, The servant has taken on himself. Guilt is at the heart of the gospel that leads to the right sentence of our condemnation before God. And the second, and the more we understand that, the more we will wonder and be filled with thanks and peace and freedom about this next point, (laughs) the next thing that comes out of this passage that's right at the heart of the gospel. Substitution is at the very heart of of the gospel. I'm just going to read out this uh, incredible, wonderful quote by uh, a man called John Stott. You might have heard of him. Uh, and if you want to take this further, a book that he wrote called The Cross of Christ would really be a great one to read. Stott writes, the, concept- the concept of substitution may be said to lie at the heart of both sin and salvation. For the essence of sin is man substituting himself for God? 
while the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for man. Man asserts himself against God and puts himself, man asserts himself against God and puts himself where only God deserves to be. God sacrifices himself for man and puts himself where only man deserves to be. Man claims prerogatives that belong to God alone. God accepts penalties that belong to man alone. That's a wonderful quote, isn't it? But it really gets at the heart of what is going on here. And friends, uh, guilt and substitution all tell the wonderful, incredible, heart-breaking and heart-remaking story of God's grace. And can you see again why it's so important that we face our utter guilt? This isn't some weird exercise in beating ourselves up, right, that uh, Christians tend to do. Uh, Our sin and our guilt is a reality. But there is another reality that shines brighter. There is another reality. The more we recognise and are broken by our sin, the more we will love and be remade by God's grace in providing a substitute for us. That is the only path to true peace and joy, friends. One writer puts it like this. The blood of Jesus is flowing out to sinners of all kinds, taking them from their guilt, their shame, their loss, their tears and despair, and giving them a whole new life. Jesus is saying to you right now, I don't want you to bear your burden one moment longer. Let my chastisement give you peace. Let my stripes heal you. So friends, at the end of all of this, uh, I'm going to read chapter 53 again. I'm just going to change the pronouns around. And I'm going to insert Jesus' name in there. And your, not your name, you can insert your own name, but your pronoun instead. And this is how we finish. Who has believed our message? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Jesus grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. Jesus had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Jesus was despised and rejected by mankind. Jesus was a man of suffering, familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. Jesus was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up your pain, my pain. Surely he took up my pain and bore my suffering. Yet I considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But Jesus was pierced for my transgressions. He was crushed for my iniquities. The punishment that brought me peace was on him. And by his wounds, I am healed. I, like a sheep, have gone astray. I have turned to my own way. And the Lord has laid on Jesus all of my iniquity, all of my sin. Guilt, substitution and grace, 
the three things that lie at the heart of this passage and the heart of the gospel. Let's pray as we uh, respond and finish up there. Let's pray. Gracious Father, please help us, Lord, wherever we're at, to hear and receive with humble and thankful hearts this word to us today. Thank you for the glory of the Lord Jesus. We are sorry for our sin. We are sorry for turning to our own way. And we rejoice, Father, and are so deeply thankful for your incredible love for us by sending your Son, Jesus, to die as a substitute in our place. Thank you that that shows us your overwhelming, incredible grace that is greater than our sin. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.